Hello, listener. I realized I didn't mention where you can find my new media when I published that last episode here. Um, This is the last episode I'll publish on the Escort Deconstructed because I feel it's important to separate my old work with my new work out of respect for the different mindsets. Anyway, here is my most recent piece, and these articles that I write now are on Substack, and I audio record them. So this is my audio recording of a written article on Vanguardist Times, and I've linked Vanguardist Times in the show notes in case you want to check that out. And that's where you can find all the new stuff I've been creating. Um, And I recorded my first podcast already, but I haven't posted it yet. I'll probably publish that in like two weeks or so. Anyway, if you want to see all that media, you know where to find it now. I hope you enjoy this piece. Can you thrive in sex work? Thoughts on sex worker burnout and Lola Davina's book. I wanted to write this a while ago, but it fell by the wayside. I first listened to Lola Davina's book, Thriving in Sex Work, Heartfelt Advice for Staying Sane in the Sex Industry, on Audible last summer after a fellow escort pestered me because she was enjoying it. Then I saw Lola's tweet on Friday. So Lola Davina tweeted, Ugh, so it finally happened. A swerf got a hold of my book and is cherry-picking quotes to make her case. In brackets, six years in, I gotta say, I thought I'd, I thought it happened sooner. And then she asked, What's the move now? And the options she gave for her poll were block and ignore, or fight, 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 or other thoughts. So I got curious, but I didn't know what she was talking about. I shrugged and kept scrolling. Then I saw a tweet by Ellie Arrow, an educator, blogger, YouTuber that has never been a sex worker, linking her new YouTube video entitled Tips for Bad Days in Sex Work. I started following Ellie like a week or two prior after she engaged with some of my posts. The title of Ellie's video piqued my interest, so I started watching and realized she was quoting Lola. So this was the video Lola referenced. Interesting. Thanks, Timeline. Lola asked Twitter if she should engage or block the swerf, the sex worker, exclusionary, radical feminist, Ellie. A quick Google search yields this definition as the top result. I know it's not academic to use a top search result on Google, but let's not pretend the average person seeks a further definition on the average Tuesday. They do not. So a swerf is a faction within feminist thought that is fundamentally opposed to sex work due to its exploitative and patriarchal nature. Swerfs pride themselves on the belief that sex work cannot be divorced from women being objectified by men and act as if they personally know what's best for sex workers, even though they have zero experience with it, end quote. The swerf acronym makes it seem like Ellie, in this case, hates sex workers, It gives me the mental image that Ellie would berate a prostitute's ad online or taunt an OnlyFans girl for her immoral life choices or ask a stripper if she has a good relationship with her father. You know, the SWERP acronym makes me think Ellie would act in a way that actively sought out sex workers to shame them while she herself took the self-righteous moral high ground. From what I've seen, Ellie doesn't do those things. I've checked out some of her work and looked at how she's interacted and whatnot. She seems to have a strong motivation to share her findings on the research she does. She seems very passionate about helping women, often specifically sex workers, and about being an agent of good and shaping a healthy society. 
This would naturally include calling out media she views as counterproductive to that goal. Is it right for Ellie to care even though she's never done sex work? Prostitutes live in society among the rest of us, correct? If Ellie cares about how society is being shaped because she lives in it, makes sense she'd take an interest in researching industries leaving behind trails of broken women. Harsh, but true. Look at the statistics. Actually, it's a good opportunity to check out some of Ellie's work. Oh, by the way, I have Ellie and Lola's Twitter handles linked in the show notes in case you want to check that out. Ellie seems to view the transaction of sex for money as damaging and traumatizing for workers based on her research. She doesn't seem to condone sex for money as healthy or good, yet she seems to hold great love and compassion for workers themselves. She doesn't seem to have much compassion for women advocating for sex work as a good life choice, seemingly viewing it as reckless, uh, akin to feeding naive onlookers to the sexual trauma wolves. Something I agree with. I made up that sentence. She didn't. Um, I interviewed an ex-client in a podcast that I'll probably release in like, I don't know, two weeks, but I'll share one thing that he mentioned. He said he got so used to buying sex that he began to catch himself seriously considering offering money to good-looking women he saw out in public, hoping that they'd agree to sex with him. So normalizing buying sex as no big deal made him start to see it as an okay thing to start asking any woman. That's just one example off the top of my head. So it's dishonest to claim normalizing buying or selling sex in society has no perverted consequences. Naive purposely ignorant. We're all responsible for the society we create and collectively live in, so I find it, and people like Ellie, admirable considering the amount of research dedicated to a topic out of pure passion and interest in making society better. She also comes across as very compassionate and civil. Lola also seems to have passion for specifically helping sex workers. She wrote a book to comfort the often very isolated sex workers of the world seeking supportive literature. She seems to also want to see a society full of healthy, happy people. She shares her experiences and lessons of sex work in the hopes that her words will positively influence her bubble of society. Ellie and Lola have both created content based on a desire to see more healthy, safe women in society. Their disagreement lies in what that looks like. So labeling either hateful is inaccurate considering their respective good-hearted motivations. I want to clarify that I'm not attacking Lola Davina. I think her motivations for writing thriving in sex work were well-intentioned. It's worth noting Ellie Arrow published a disclaimer stating something similar, and this is Ellie Arrow under her YouTube video. She wrote, This video is not an endorsement of harassment of the author as strongly as any of us might disagree with some of her ideas. I know I got a bit upset in this video as I don't like the word feminism or feminist language associated with things that I see as the opposite of the movement's values and goals, but I tried to stick to engaging with the ideas, not the individual, and appreciative commenters do the same. So, I am not attacking Lola as a person. Attacking her work? Yes. In its entirety? No. Thriving in sex work has useful tips for things like staying safe while selling sex, where to seek help, what to pay attention to, like taxes, law enforcement, all that stuff. Basically, if you're a sex worker and dead set on staying in the industry, the book likely has some useful tips for you. If nothing else, it'll make you feel less alone. 
Another point Lola stresses as the book's purpose. Her book can make a sex seller feel better, mainly because it confirms the delusion, in my opinion, that sex work can be a healthy life choice. Her words make a worker feel understood, heard. It's comforting to have a life choice affirmed. Um, She does this with an almost excessively soft tone, sort of like she's comforting a scared child. Again, I listened on Audible. Um, It's common to dismiss anyone writing about the sex industry that hasn't lived the life. So, I was a prostitute for a long time. That's not an issue for me. The grounds for my dismissal will be that I'm disgruntled or lying about having been a prostitute or the industry simply wasn't for me because I didn't try the industry in the right way. (laughs) Ellie's video draws attention to the use of the language of, quote, sex worker burnout. The timestamp of that is uh, 520 in her video, which is also linked in the show notes. Ellie referenced a New Zealand escort who was given a pamphlet on, quote, sex worker burnout. The pamphlet, Ellie says, showed the symptoms of burnout to be the same as symptoms of PTSD. The difference lies in the language used and ultimately where the fault lies when it comes to burnout versus PTSD. I think everyone knows that PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. Lola wrote at length about burnout in her book. So here are some excerpts. Quote number one, burnout, the syndrome of being no longer able to do sex work due to emotional or physical exhaustion. Um, so Lola's definition of burnout is accurate to me, to be honest. It looks good to me. She put in sex worker burnout, but like burnout in any industry is the same. Just exhaustion, I would agree. Two, when we don't take care of ourselves, we shut down, making the work torture. While I don't have research to back this up, I believe burnout is one of the top reasons sex workers leave the industry. So here, Lola acknowledges and credits burnout as the reason many sex workers retire. I agree with her, but I would call it PTSD, not burnout. Why would you entirely stop a job you love just because you're exhausted? People get burnout in all industries. It doesn't mean that they quit the whole industry. So if the majority of workers quit from, quote, burnout, is it similar or dissimilar to other industries? Or is it the same? Is burnout the right word? Okay, quote number three, the sex workers I've known who were forced into retirement either burned out or didn't make the right changes. So Lola says she's seen many workers forced to retire from burnout or from, quote, not making the right changes. Like, as if there is such a thing when it comes to persuading or forcing yourself to have unwanted sex for money. Make the right changes. Okay, number four. There are plenty of reasons to want to holler in the biz, but you cannot let anger ride you. Bitterness is the express train to burnout. In this section, I'll discuss the dynamics of rage and how it can take over our lives. I'll offer heartfelt advice on letting it go and practical advice on how to detach from triggers while still allowing juicy deliciousness in. And I've included two additional exercises in empathy and forgiveness, because only through compassion for one another can we break the cycle of endless grievance. This quote makes me cringe. Like, rage is a healthy reaction to feeling violated, especially if you signed off on the unwanted sex and hate yourself deeply for betraying yourself, but don't know how to escape sex work. 
the context of her words about rage matter. The context is to get over your rage about sex with random men you often hate for money and let it go so you can let the juicy deliciousness in again. I mean, I don't know how that's not meant to make me cringe. This isn't healthy life advice for women having unwanted sex. They shouldn't let their rage go and again put themselves in these situations for it to just keep happening until they're numb to it entirely. Like, oof. Um, by the way, I, uh, I include which page these quotes are from. So if you want to look that up, you just look at the actual written version of this article. Okay, quote number five. What does success in sex work look like? Amanda Brooks, author of the Internet Escort Handbook series, counsels, When you discover your niche, you'll be happy because you get the clients you like. Your clients are happy because you meet their expectations. Your business stays healthy, you stay healthy, life is good. Lola goes back, Her point can't be overstated. We suffer burnout and exhaustion trying to be something we're not. When we're just going through the motions, clients know they aren't getting good value. So the, <laughs> the notion that clients deserved better or more than the burnt out version of me makes me want to vomit. Anyone making a list of things men deserve from women they're paying for sex is living in la-la land. Now, old marketing version of me would have absolutely written something like this. Honest me, writing this blog, um, please. Okay, quote number six, burnout is hitting the wall. I can't do this anymore. It's a conscious state. You and everyone around you know when you've reached it. Fizzling out is indifference, complacency, and unwillingness to change. Like a frog in a pot brought to a slow but deadly boil. Inertia can accumulate over months and years. Sometimes we are the last to realize how depressed, bored, or frustrated we've become. Ask yourself if you want to keep doing this job. There is no shame in wanting to quit. You owe it to yourself to choose the work every day that you do it. Don't take your commitment for granted. So Lola acknowledges that there is no shame in quitting. That's worth noting. I believe this is maybe the only place in the book where she spends any time on that idea, like that quitting um, is a possible solution to all these mental health issues. She acknowledges quitting as a solution, but it's not an option listed as a good idea for, quote, bad days throughout the book in the same way that just think about it differently is. Here's a quote from page 66. Quote, it's natural to think about quitting sex work. However, give yourself time. Don't make snap decisions. End quote. So, I don't know. You decide what you want your takeaway from that to be, reader. I've seen comments from other workers dismissing me sharing my negative view of the sex industry as me just, quote, being burnt out. Obviously, my takeaway from these words is that it's my fault I'm burnt out. It's my fault I didn't take time away to take care of myself better between bookings or whatever. Here is my tweet from March 13th. I wrote on Twitter, It's not a surprise that sharing my view that sex work was extremely soul-destroying experience is so vehemently torn apart by copious other escorts, inclusivity at its finest. I'm against glamorizing the industry to onlookers, not removing the option. I still vote for decrim. And then Amanda Brooks commented, You're massively burned out. 
I've thought a lot of what you thought. Searching for meaning in sex work is fruitless because it is a meaningless job. Finding meaning outside of it is crucial. It's not the only meaningless job in the world either. You haven't sold your soul. I promise you still have a soul. It may be hiding to protect itself, but it's still there. Clients do not want or care about your soul. This isn't pretty, but ultimately means you can heal. Okay. So is it a coincidence Amanda Brooks is also an ex-escort who wrote the Internet Escorts Handbook series to show others how to do well in sex work? I acknowledge Amanda purposely tried to write a thoughtful response, but my brain still wanted to tell her to go fuck herself. I said nothing. But calling what I'm feeling after all these years in paid intimacy burnout is condescending from where I stand. It doesn't feel sufficient as an explanation, you know? I'm not attacking Amanda either, rather pointing to the clear difference between the two differing narratives on the same phenomena. Lola mentions Amanda's book in her book, and they seem to interact regularly on socials. Makes sense. They both wrote books with similar themes. They both still actively profit off the empowered prostitute narrative, same as when they marketed themselves to clients. Let me reiterate what I wrote in Article 14 about women still actively marketing themselves in sex work. I wrote, quote, it is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on his not understanding it, quote by Upton Sinclair, which can be translated into, it's hard to get a person to change their mind if they're being paid to believe something. That's basically how I view the happy hooker and why including them in the discussion cannot yield honesty. It's just dishonest because they're being paid to stand by one message. It's different when your income doesn't depend on the narrative that you do your work because you love it. End quote. While these women are no longer prostitutes, they're still profiting off the narrative that they love their work. So I'm not telling you what to think about it. I'm just pointing out something that gets flagged in my mind. Um, to be clear, I also am now part of this writing about my time as a prostitute to try and positively influence my bubble of society as I understand it, gang. I also am attempting to monetize my writing and media. I don't know if you find that a little different, a lot different, or exactly the same as these other women. You decide, reader. Anyway, these two would agree that I was just, quote, burnt out, not traumatized by the constant unwanted sex I forced slash persuaded myself to have. So the blame is on me for the way I escorted, not on the transaction of sex for money itself being inherently soul-destroying. Well, that seems fair right? The label of burnout or PTSD seemingly reference the same phenomena but are calling it by a different name. One faction calls it sex worker burnout, the pro-empowered girl boss escort. The other faction calls it PTSD from the trauma of unwanted sex. The prostitution is soul-destroying and commodifying one's sexuality has severe mental health consequences, people. But here's where the logic doesn't add up for me, reader. It's not like there's this huge divide between women that have had traumatic experiences in sex work and those that haven't. I personally haven't met a fellow whore who's never had a bad experience with a client. While bad and traumatic aren't the same words, they are closely linked when it comes to unwanted sex with randoms. Lola and Amanda's own words indicate they've had bad experiences with clients. Lola in her coaching on how to get over it slash past it and Amanda commenting on my tweet saying she'd felt the same as I did and called my condition burnout. 
These are women who understood the trade-off of prostitution and decided to shrug it off, shrug off their feelings of burnout, make peace with them, and go right back into escorting because it's how they best knew how to make quick money slash a higher income. Uh, the, Lola wrote this somewhere in her book that it was the best way she knew how to make money. And while I haven't seen that expressly written by Amanda, it was her literal job. So, I mean, I'm not far off. Um, this is the point to me, though. Bad sexual experiences are inevitable in this line of work because either you'll see clients that make you feel unsafe because this is how you earn a living or because a nice client will turn out to be a monster in human flesh behind closed doors or like insert a hundred other possibilities. Point is, I see sexual trauma as near inevitable and I don't think it's appropriate to normalize this as something healthy or good for women in society. Even if never traumatized, it feels sad and soul-destroying. Both of these women acknowledge burnout is common and a big reason workers retire, as I've laid out, whether you call it PTSD or burnout, depends on which thought faction you belong to. So, our exact disagreement is about whether or not paid intimacy, sex for money, is an inherently sad transaction. See what I mean? Because if it's not inherently sad... I'm personally responsible for how soul-destroying I found that activity. I am personally responsible for not being, quote, a good enough prostitute or a prostitute properly. I am personally responsible for allowing my PTSD or my burnout. As a side note, I do feel responsible for my own PTSD, reader. I'm the one who forced myself to do it. Unsure if I'd agree with another woman blaming herself, though. So that might just be my lingering self-worth issues. Lola doesn't seem willing to consider the possibility that her book is a guide on how to gaslight yourself into believing negative experiences in sex work aren't actually that bad. She claims it's possible to change your mind about it and thrive. So therefore, if you aren't getting there, it's very possible you're just doing it wrong. Now, of course, she doesn't actually use those words. This is my interpretation. Like I showed, she does mention exiting the industry as an option if it feels bad once in her book, I think just maybe twice. The entire book is dedicated to helping you reframe your mind about the bad parts of sex work so you can keep at it, sexy worker. Her book is a how-to best endure slash deal with a job that's inherently sad and tests your sanity daily so you can keep earning money while gaslighting yourself into believing it's not that bad. While this may be of use to those stuck in sex work hell, it's by no means a useful resource for women seeking guidance on how to live honest or healthy lives. Listening to Lola's book on Audible um, the first time, I had to stop it twice. After hearing these sections, I bent over, put my hands on my knees, and had to strongly resist the urge to vomit for a few minutes. So, obviously, her words triggered me. Here's a passage from Practical Advice, Managing Acute Anxiety. Oh god, these quotes are so long, I'm sorry. <laughs> Hopefully it's interesting to listen to me say it now and not, like, boring as balls because I've read this article a thousand million times, writing and editing it, and maybe it's fun for you. Okay, here we go. <laughs> we face a lot of uncertain situations in sex work, resulting in worry, stage fright, or just a general sense of dread. If you're in immediate danger, you must get yourself to safety right away. However, if you are safe in the moment, but fear of the future is overwhelming you, here's my advice on how to feel calmer. Reconnect with your body. Focus on the here and now. Clenching an ice cube. 
Snapping a rubber band on your wrist or curling and uncurling your toes are ways to get out of your head and back into your body, even if you're in serious trouble, focusing on what's actually happening in the present moment will improve your ability to manage the situation. Realize that your brain is playing tricks on you. If you're in panic mode but facing no immediate danger, your mind is outrunning reality. Say to yourself, I am safe in this moment. I am healthy and whole. These feelings will pass. A friend of mine, when she's drowning in anxiety, puts on loud music, dances wildly, and sings, this is silly, this is silly, this is silly. Until she can't get on top of how she until she can get on top of how she's feeling. Acknowledging that our brains are in hyperdrive can help free us from any shame, guilt, judgment, or pressure we put on ourselves to just get over it already. Question your thoughts. When we get worked up, all kinds of horrible future scenarios can ricochet through our brains. Once your body and mind have calmed down for a few minutes, you are in a safe place. Try challenging your worries with these scripts. My anxious reaction is out of proportion to the reality of the situation. I have friends and loved ones who can listen, soothe, and provide perspective. If the worst possible thing did happen, I am safe and strong and could handle it. Yeah, rage. This time I feel intense rage, not nausea. She's giving literal instructions on how to re-enter your body when you're having a panic attack or dissociating from being traumatized by unwanted sex with clients. The context matters. Why are you giving instructions on how to better cope with this nightmare activity instead of saying, focus on finding ways to stop hurting yourself like this? A guide on how to best cope with very justified anxiety and dissociation so you can keep enduring these traumatic experiences but with a calmer mind is dystopic made me feel sweaty, nauseated, and angry. Lola doesn't deny dissociating is part of sex work. Here's a passage from her chapter on dissociation. Quote, I'm just going to come right out and say it. Sometimes I would dissociate when having sex with clients. My mind is capable of sliding right off into outer space, leaving my body more or less to fend for itself. And while I can't go so far as to say that every sex worker I've ever known dissociates, the ones I'm closest to check out from time to time as well. What do I mean by saying I dissociated? At times, when doing things with clients I wasn't into, my mind would wander off for a while. One way to look at it was my brain was doing me a favor, keeping me at a distance, then bringing me back to reality when I needed to be fully present. I know this is a loaded topic. Dissociation and other symptoms of PTSD, including depression... Anxiety and emotional numbness are directly related to trauma, especially childhood abuse. This is a particularly sore spot for many sex workers because the straight world assumes we all must have been molested as children. Why else would we do what we do? Are all sex workers damaged goods? Was everyone mistreated in childhood, destined to work on a pole or walk in the streets? Highly doubtful. But it's true, there are all kinds of detached behaviors in the biz and sex work and clients alike. To ignore that would be, well, denying reality. I'm not here to romanticize trauma and its after effects. I don't believe dissociation offers powers of self-protection or the ability to read minds. Nodding off like River Phoenix in my own private Idaho isn't noble or beautiful. However, sometimes we need to zone out. It's a defense mechanism, a bargain our mind made with our bodies years ago, and we need to honor it. Here is what I believe. 
You can dissociate and still do sex work safely. This does not mean you are broken beyond repair. It does not. It doesn't mean you can't take care of yourself. If you can remember what happened after you've been gone in your mind for a time, if you're alert to dangers and know innately that you have the ability to act on them, then you can trust yourself to make good decisions. Okay, her chapter on dissociation is like longer, so if you want to go read the whole thing, you know where to find it. But she wrote, Lola wrote, her brain was doing her a favor by dissociating. Those are her own words. So I don't need to comment anything further on this. She paints a very clear picture. She told herself it wasn't that bad, and she ignored the bad part so she could keep earning the quick money. It is what it is. I have a bone to pick. Very true. But it's not with these women. It's with the concept of calling sex for money healthy and the idea that I should be able to stay sane while constantly enduring that or be labeled a failure. The gaslighting is real. The gaslighting that happened was me doing it to me. These women are also doing it to me by extension, but that's because they're doing it to themselves first. I hate myself for gaslighting myself, and now I'm annoyed by these women trying to instruct other ladies on how to self-gaslight better. Cope however you'd like, ladies, but I feel it's not a net positive to be writing these guides. It's not going to result in an individual doing well mentally because you're encouraging them to find peace based on lies. Lies of loving, unwanted sex for money. Lies that they aren't internally upset by the reality of that transaction. I can't condone it. Still, my ultimate bone to pick is with myself, not these ladies. Am I making sense, reader? When I began writing this article... I hadn't looked at Lola's book again yet. I couldn't remember the title exactly. I knew it was How to Thrive in Sex Work or something like that. I didn't realize the literal title was Advice for Staying Sane. Mm, That's what I think her book is. That's what she thinks her book is? Wait, what am I not getting here? Girl, if you can't stay sane without proper self-brainwashing, then it's time to ask yourself what the fuck is going on here, right? Am I crazy? Her tips for dealing with prostitution are exactly that. A guide to staying sane. Staying sane while forcing or persuading yourself to have unwanted sex for money requires constant confirmation of delusions, or there is a lot of sobbing and nihilism. Sorry, burnout. I've been there hundreds of times over the years. Have to look at the activity from a certain angle, or you'd rightfully be filled with rage with no one but yourself to blame. Because again, I'm speaking on those consensually doing sex work. So is her book. Her book is literally a guide to reinforce the narrative required to be a prostitute and not lose your mind. It's dystopic to label this lifestyle healthy. Everyone deserves more out of life. Naysayers will claim staying sane while attempting to do your first startup or whatever job is a common title for a book. Sure, very true. I'm sure there's many books out there with similar titles that are useful guides. Except the job you're being coached into trying to stay sane at is voluntary unwanted sexual experiences for money. Pretty enormous difference there. Gaslighting yourself into oblivion about the nature of unwanted sex for money is not a version of self-care I condone. The coddling tone Lola uses in her audiobook is reflective of where she falls on the liberal political spectrum, forever treating adults like sensitive children. For those of you reading my essays regularly, you'll know I'm transparent and sincere in my prose. I still wrestle with being politically correct in my writing. Where do I and don't I want to be overly accommodating to the sensitive? I want to be kind to people I write about, but I also want to show my actual thoughts. Is it a good thing to coddle adults with unnaturally sensitive language? Honestly, I don't think so anymore. 
Obviously, I agreed somewhat at some point. Special treatment isn't the real world. The real world has war, bullying, violence, hierarchies, and many other inescapable harsh hallmarks of being human. By pretending that isn't part of the world we live in, we do nothing but produce adults unprepared for the real world. These coddled adults will get either murdered or enslaved in half a second if war breaks out. Toughen up. It's for your own good. Anyone needing to be spoken to in a special way as an adult is living in a deluded version of Matrix-like reality by needing others to accommodate their sensitivities. Eventually, they'll meet a man who doesn't respect those social nicety rules they've grown so accustomed to, and he'll do as he pleases. Aligning yourself with a weak mentality is a bad life choice. So, in that spirit, honestly, Lola's book is just one big cope in my eyes. That's how it registers in my brain. Cope, cope, cope. She can cope however she likes, but creating work that makes onlookers believe these things about the industry is careless. Actually, what it is is self-indulgent. Lola's book is a self-indulgent cope with good intentions. I see Lola's book as me with my podcast, trying to make myself feel better about self-destructive activities by proving I loved my life choices. One big difference, though, Lola has something to show for all her years of sex work. I do not. At the beginning of her book, she boasts her six figures she saved before retiring. I think she was trying to show herself as a success story of the sex industry, not like, be smug. Maybe if I had something to show for all the unwanted sex I made myself have, I'd have a bigger incentive to stick by my empowered girl boss narrative. Maybe I would have worshipped at the whore altar forever if I felt I was paid enough not to care, not to look at it too deeply. Maybe. We'll never know. You may read some rage in my tone, reader. Well, there is rage. Not anger, rage. Rage at anyone that would dare look at me sobbing and tell me, you just didn't use the right tools in sex work. Sex work just wasn't for you. You did it wrong. You failed at it. Makes me want to break everything inside. I believe it's possible to make the best of life as a sex worker when you think it's only your best option for you. Not every client feels traumatic. Some clients were kind and it felt relatively painless. Kind clients didn't remove my feelings of this isn't my real life. This isn't me. I don't want this. I'd never have sexual relations with this man under any other circumstance. I'm lying to him. I'm lying to myself. Misrepresenting my own desires. This feels sad. Wrong. Whatever though. This is my life now. I'll just make the best of it. It's really not so bad considering it pays my rent and gives me more free time and yada 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 yada. It being possible to make the best of sex work doesn't make it healthy or good. I didn't know that what I had was PTSD until like last year or something. I have trouble trusting people and can't bring myself to be honest with a therapist or trust that their advice isn't biased to make me worse. So I just do my own research and, you know, find my own resources. I'm saying this because I don't think it's helpful to label what's happening in my brain as burnout. The flashbacks from unwanted sex that play in my mind like movies I can't turn off aren't burnout. I'd never considered that I had PTSD until I read The Body Keeps the Score and heard the author describe PTSD. Then I knew instantly. So do with that information what you will, reader. As I finished editing this, I saw another tweet by Lola yesterday. The timing is like, what are the chances? Lola tweeted a quote by Toni Morrison that reads, If there is a book you want to read, but it hasn't been written yet, then you must write it. (laughs) Now that, I believe... I believe Lola needed to hear the comforting words she wrote in her book. Those are things she'd tell herself so she'd stay sane, having continuous unwanted sex for money. 
So I think Lowe's book is good for workers who want to stay in a state of delusion. It could help women who aren't ready to face the harsh, the harsh truth with tips on how to stay sane, which is exactly the title of her book. Debatable if I would call it help, though. I... I don't know if it's a morally bad thing to make those stuck in a nightmare version of life have tools to cope better. If you're genuinely stuck in a, and unable to see other solutions, the book could be a good option, I guess. I don't know. I'm doing my best to somehow give it the benefit of the doubt here. However, my solution for living the best version of your life, whether as a sex worker or a client, is be honest, face the hard truth, and live your real life. So... I know my words will offend many, but cheers to those of you who appreciate the candor over the coddling. I did my best to keep civility in my tone. I wanted to disagree amicably because after all, publishing writing means facing dissenting views. People disagree with media and it presents an opportunity to further discuss the topics and let the best ideas win out. It's all love from where I stand. It's love to be harsh and honest, push people to be better. It's not love to lie, coddle, and never challenge people into self-improvement and radical honesty. The best possible thing that could happen will happen. (laughs) The best possible thing that could happen will happen as a result of being honest. My position is stop forcing yourself to endure these traumatic sexual encounters. Do not double down on trying to brainwash yourself into liking it more. Do not tell yourself there is something wrong with you if you aren't enjoying it like other women seem to. You don't know how these other sex workers actually think or feel. This work is unwanted sexual intimacy for money with strangers. It would be abnormal to not find that disturbing. Do not gaslight yourself into thinking there is something wrong with you for not being able to make the best of it. There is nothing wrong with you. It is a complete and total mindfuck to tell yourself that you like something that makes you want to sob and vomit. Insane. You're sane for hating it. Sane for thinking, hey, there's something wrong and sad here. Maybe I can't vocalize it, but I can feel it. Yeah, you're right. Maybe you had no other options than to do sex work, but you're in control of your life today and what happens in the future. Staying stuck in sex work is not your only option for survival. Survival will look different without sex work, no doubt. But it exists, and the peace you feel from never again having to mentally prepare yourself for unwanted sex is bliss. It's worth much more than temporary peace from quick money. It's going to take me many months to pay off this line of credit I have. It would have taken me a few bookings in the past. Two or three bookings I could have easily had before I quit. I opted to say no after a random day that I picked. I seriously thought I'd lose my entire mind if I forced myself to have one more session of unwanted sex. Why was a booking so soul-destroying at the end? Why couldn't I have just had them like I did before and shrug it off? Because I stopped brainwashing myself into being okay with it. I looked at my feelings and objective reality for what it was. It was all sex I forced or persuaded myself to have that I didn't want and it was severely affecting my mental health in countless ways. I was being my own oppressor with no end in sight. When was I going to stand up for myself and stop doing this to myself? How long would I keep convincing myself that this was my only option before I analyzed if that was objectively true? I don't think there would have been anything left of me if I continued. It'll take a while for me to recalibrate my life, how I earn money, how I spend money, how I invest, etc. To be honest, none of that mattered to me because I didn't see a future. I waited to die every day, so what did I care about how sustainable my life choices were? Well... 
since standing up for real me. I respect myself again. I'm not just waiting for death, making the best of things. Stuck in sex for money, hell. I decided I can try harder and figure something else out. The decision to push myself, even though it's uncomfortable, lonely, and confusing, is making life regain meaning. Slowly. Very slowly. (laughs) I don't have a support system beyond the handful of people I talk to about, like, everyday pleasantries. I'm doing this career life change thing, like, relatively alone, but it's, it's real, so it feels good. I say that in the hopes that you make a change in your life if you feel you need one, even if it means losing all the friends and, quote, community you once had. Meaning is made of actions, not thinking. Pick something and give it meaning. Something you like. You can do it. (laughs) Lots of love to you, dear reader. Stay curious.